When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I'm Dan Lobby, joined by Mary Kay Cabot. We are going to bring you back-to-back Hey Mary Kay editions of the podcast here on a Thursday and then again on Friday. We will both be traveling uh, back to Ohio on Friday from Indianapolis. So we're going to do a couple of Hey Mary Kay pods for you here over the next two days on the podcast. Uh, Let's start here, Mary Kay. And this question comes from, uh, this is a new name, by the way, Casey Booth in Rio Grande, Ohio, which I just now found out is a place. Hey, Mary Kay, what's more important to success, fixing the defense or adding offensive playmakers? You know what? I actually don't think that it has to be an either or situation. They have an opportunity coming up here to add to both sides of the ball, and I think they need to do so. And I do keep getting asked over and over and over again, do they need the speedy receiver first or do they need the defensive tackle first or the end first? And I don't think it has to be. Uh, you know, this one has to be on Tuesday. This one has to be Wednesday. This has to be first. This has to be best. This, I think they need three key pieces, the speedy receiver, the premier defensive tackle, and the premier end. I don't think the order matters that much. I think what you do is you try to put the puzzle together however it works. If you can trade for, for a receiver and it makes sense, then you go ahead and do that. If you can sign one in free agency, you go ahead and you do that. If those things don't work out and you don't acquire someone like that, then you look at one uh, with the second pick, the 42 overall pick. So I don't think it has to be, um, you know, they don't have to make choices like that. They're going to clear enough cap space. They're going to have enough money to do what they need to do to acquire some veterans and then, uh, you know, they'll be able to to draft some decent players, although they only have one pick in the first 97 selections. They might have to trade up a little bit if they want to get a couple of, uh, you know, sort of premier or better quality starters in this draft. But I don't think they're going to be limited in what they can do. So when, when it comes to the two things, which do you think is, I, I guess, let's say for whatever reason, they could only choose one. Like you can either add defensive talent or offensive talent. Which one? would you choose? Well, if I had to choose, I guess I probably would say defensive talent, but I don't even know if I could choose between the end and the tackle, right? I mean, I I think that that would be incredibly difficult because you're not going to be able to really run Jim Schwartz's defense effectively unless you have another really good pass rusher. You just can't do it. So, um, So, you know, 
I might actually say, if I had to choose, I might say number two edge because that brings out the best in miles. Um, in that scenario, you're hoping that David Bell is really stepping up for you. You're hoping that, um, you know, Michael Woods takes another step. You're, um, you know, you're really relying on Amari Cooper to have another great season and to stay healthy for David Njoku to step it up. Uh, so, I mean, you have bodies over there at the pass catching uh, situation, but, um, you know, I still think that it's vitally important to get that. But if you're making me choose and you are, um, I we guess I I guess I'd have to say add to the defensive line because you at least have some things you can work with over there. I don't think that they have the number two or number three edge rusher right now. Yeah. So, okay. So this leads into our next question. Uh, this comes from Tom in Middlebury, Connecticut. Uh, hey, Mary Kay, the draft and develop philosophy we've heard about seems to conflict with the win now urgency, especially as some players are taking longer to develop than expected. Will the Browns be more likely to draft guys ready to play now with a lower ceiling or continue to draft players who will develop over two to three years? You know, I mean, their philosophy really is to to draft them young and enable to them them to develop. And I think for the most part, uh, unless you're picking in the first round, generally you're looking at developmental players, you know, for the most part, especially when you get round three and beyond. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't know that you can really draft too, too many plug and play players, especially with guys coming out so early and they just don't have the experience that they used to. Um so I don't think the draft philosophy is going to change that much. Uh, what, you know, where I think you kind of can make some hay is in the trade market and the free agency market. Even, uh, you know, the, the stragglers towards the end, you can find some role players, you can find some veterans. Uh, I do think that they need to find uh, a number of plug and play players that can come in and help them win this year. Yeah. And, you know, I, the, I think the sense of urgency question is always interesting. And, and that was something that did come up this week. And I think, you know, Kevin and Andrew and, and Catherine Raish too, uh, kind of made the point like, well, first of all, Kevin said there's always a sense of urgency in the NFL, mm-hmm. but you know, Andrew and Catherine, you, when you hear their philosophy, they really do separate each season out. So like, you know, it, it's not about last season or where you, it's, this is a new season and the goal every season is to build the best team possible. Um, and, and so I don't think that it's been a lack of urgency the last couple drafts as to why these, some of these guys haven't worked out and, and you're kind of waiting for them to develop. I think that sense of urgency has been there. It hasn't resulted in winning other than in 2020, but I, I think that sense of urgency has always been there and will be there. Oh, I think so too. I mean, you look at, uh, you know, even, Andrew Barry's first acquisition season. I mean, he, he was uh, dynamite and lights out in terms of acquiring players that they thought could help them win right away. So I don't think there's any eye to, Hey, let's see what we can do two years or three years or four years down the road in total. Yes. Uh, a lot of young draft picks that you hope uh, that you can develop and have here for a long period of time. But in terms of the sense of urgency, they have the same sense of urgency every single year. I think they've had it. Uh, from the from the minute this regime showed up on the doorstep, they had that sense of urgency. That's why I didn't think it was necessarily, um, you know, news that they they feel that same sense of urgency. You know, they're saying, yeah, we have it every year. And I, I believe that. I don't think that, you know, that that they feel like their feet are being held to the fire 
this year. I think they feel every year they've, they've got to go out and they've got to make the playoffs. So um, I think they will approach this offseason much like they have the past. And I, I think, too, it's it's also worth noting with some of these draft and develop. So, you know, like they signed Austin Hooper and then they drafted Harrison Bryant, right? They, they've doubled up before and they, they sort of draft and, and use free agency with the acknowledgement sometimes that somebody might take some time to develop. So they might sign two guys at each position. You know, I know mm-hmm. Conklin and Wills play different positions, but they spent big money on yeah, Conklin right. and then they drafted Jed Wills. They'll, they'll mm-hmm. double up and, and give guys some time to grow and develop and, and they'll spend money in free agency to allow them to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think with this uh, free agency period coming up, even though they don't have any cap space right now, I think uh, it seems to me like if, if a lot of these guys hit the market that potentially can, uh, there will be some really interesting targets there for the Cleveland Browns on the defensive line at safety with Jesse Bates. Um, if he makes it, I just I think it can be very, very intriguing. They're going to have to find the money. But um, another thing to consider when you are looking at free agents coming into Cleveland, a lot of them are going to want to play with a good quarterback. Everybody knows what that means. When you play with a good quarterback, you have a chance to win. You have a chance to contend. And everything is better when you're winning. The locker room is better. The city is better. The media uh, relationships are better. I mean, everything is better. And and players don't like to walk into a, a situation where they don't have a chance to win. And I think that Deshaun will help them attract a lot of quality free agents. Yeah. It's, you know, sometimes there's this idea out there that um, for us covering the team, we love just like chaos and failure. And it sucks covering losing. Losing is an awful, like it's People don't want to talk to you. Nobody's in the locker room. They're grumpy when they are. Post games are just the same thing over and over again. Covering losing stinks. <laughs> yeah, it, it does. And I've covered a lot of it over the years. So I, I'm yeah. here to tell you. <laughs> I'm here to tell you that playoff seasons are uh, you know, a lot more fun for everybody. Everybody's in a better mood. Uh, people want to talk. People want to engage. People want to stick around the locker room after a victory. Uh, it's much more fun for the fans. And uh, it's, it's really good for everyone if they can do that. Of course, we cover the team objectively. So what, you know, we don't, you know, root for the team because that's not our job. Our job is to cover the team as objectively as we can. Also with analysis and opinions and things like that. But, you know, we don't jump up and down hoping for the Browns to win. That's not what we do. But um, we can both agree, as we are agreeing right now, that um, it, it's a lot easier uh to cover happy people that's there's no question about that <laughs> yeah exactly and we're in better moods too so like you say even though we don't root we do it objectively we're, we're just in better moods when they're in better moods so it's just uh, it's good vibes uh good vibes all around okay let's take a break here and then we've got some more hey mary cake habit questions coming up on the other side of the pod of the break with threats to our nation waiting around every corner adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 
and welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, a Hey Mary Kay edition here on a Thursday. Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot. So let's talk about free agency. Bob Rupel from Novelty, Ohio. Hey Mary Kay, do you find it surprising that Andrew Barry said that he can be as aggressive as he needs to be in free agency with only a few options to get more cap space? Now, in addition to an experienced defensive tackle, defensive end, and wide receiver, a free safety is needed. You know what? It's it's not necessarily going to be simple or easy, but Andrew Barry is here in Indianapolis meeting with the agents of all of his uh, impending free agents, uh, trying to work through some things, uh, some existing veterans meeting with those agents to see about possible restructurings. Uh, and I think those things are going to happen and they will clear the cap space that they need. And they might not even know that they need, for instance, $15 million a year to pay Jesse Bates until they need it. You know what I mean? Like if, if you're not going to get him, then you don't need to go to say like Amari Cooper and say, Hey, can we restructure your contract? So some of these things are kind of done on the fly. You set the parameters ahead of time. You have the conversations and say, Hey, we might need to do this. And, um, and then you kind of go from there. And, um, and it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, I wrote about this week that, you know, they, they are at least open to restructuring the contract of Deshaun Watson. And that's very significant because if you can get him to do that and his agents to agree to that, which it's probably a win-win for him because he would get more upfront money. Um, if you do that, you know, you don't really have to do five, six, seven other deals. You can probably just, uh, you know, maybe do that one if you can get enough money out of that restructuring. So, I mean, it's something to keep in mind. And I think it's very significant when you're dealing with a contract like that, uh, you're going to have to, you're going to have to be very strategic in how you manage your cap and your roster over the next four years with a $55 million cap hit in each of the next four seasons. So, um, you know, I think it is, I think it's significant. If you clear, you know, 20, $30 million just in one, one transaction alone, it allows you to do a lot of things. This is always a tricky topic, I think, because I think from a fan perspective, the answer is always yes. Um, from a player perspective, though, it, it can be tricky because, you know, these these guys have made this money and, and they deserve it. But does does Deshaun Watson sort of have that responsibility to like if, if the Browns need to do some things with that contract and, and free up money, you know, as sort of the highest paid player and the leader of the team and the quarterback, does he... Is there a responsibility there or is it just kind of, or, or not? I mean, how, how do you feel about that? I think that he strikes me as a player who is all about winning a championship right now. I mean, of course, they all want the money. He's getting his money. No matter how you slice it, he's getting his $230 million guaranteed. He will do, in my opinion, anything that it takes to bolster this roster and to make this team better. So if they come to him and say, Hey, you know, can you move this around? Can you move this out to another year? Can you, you know, lower this cap number to whatever the case may be? I think he would jump at the chance to add in a number of free agents to go out and get a couple of more receivers to add to, to that defensive line. I think he'll do whatever it takes to make that happen. Well, and, you know, and, and in the end, it would probably be a benefit to him anyway, because he'd probably get more money up front um, mm-hmm. instead of having to wait for, for some of that money. So, it would actually probably be a win-win um, in, in that sense, in that mm-hmm. at least in the near future, he'd get to sort of get some money now and not have to wait till, 
you know, three years from now to get some of it. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, who knows? He might have already blown through uh, the initial $46 million signing bonus or whatever he got. Uh, no, I'm kidding. But um, yeah, I mean, if you can get some more upfront money now and do with it what you want, invest it the way that you want and, um, you know, and have it in your control and your possession uh, sooner than later, then that is a win-win. And I think he would be all about that. He just, he really does uh, strike me as someone genuinely who wants to win a Super Bowl uh, for himself, for the team, and for the city of Cleveland. Okay, Mike in Chester, Maryland. Hey, Mary Kay, given the Browns' poor track record in evaluating selecting defensive tackles, do you think Jim Schwartz will have a major role in the draft process? Yeah, I think he will have a major role in the draft process and in, in free agency because, you know, Jim Schwartz began his career as a talent evaluator. He's a former scout. He knows what he's looking at. Uh, he knows what he likes and he knows what he needs for his defense. And this front office uh, really takes into account what the coaches want, uh, what they want to have, what they want to coach, what those players should look like, what size they should be, how fast they should be. Uh, so they will definitely tailor uh, what they acquire to what Jim Schwartz says he needs. And plus, you know, he just didn't fall off the turnip truck. I mean, he's been around for a very long time. And if he says, you know, I need, you know, Javon Hargrave to power my defensive line, you know, the the great defensive tackle from the Eagles, then, you know, they will be more apt to try to do something like that for him. I think Andrew Barry has made a point this offseason too, whenever we've talked to him. And again, Catherine made the same point. They... Their job is to draft and sign players for the coaching staff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I just you don't hire a guy like Jim Schwartz first off if you're not going to give him some input on these things. But also, I think they've made it very clear that they believe it's their job to draft guys that fit what the coaches want. They're drafting for the coaches. They're not just drafting guys or signing guys because they like them. It, it's because the coaches see them as fits and what they want to do. Yeah, and you have a front office and a coaching staff that are on the same page right now. Hasn't always been that way. I mean, it almost sounds like whenever I say that, I feel like people probably think, well, that's stating the obvious, but it's not. I mean, it's not always like that. I've been, uh, you know, around long enough to see some uh, regimes that just were completely disconnected from that standpoint, including, you know, Hugh Jackson, of course, and Sashi Brown. That's the, uh, you know, that's the most vivid example or the most striking contrast between, uh, you know, the, the offensive, uh, you know, I mean, the personnel side and the coaching side, they were not on the same page at all. But this group is, they're on the same page. And as you mentioned, Catherine talked about it. Andrew talks about it all the time. They want to do uh, what's going to help their coaches. That's a win-win for everyone. And they are working in concert on all of this. Okay, let's do another Jim Schwartz question. This comes from Robert in Ponte Vedra, Florida, uh, but born and raised in Cleveland. He says, hey, Mary Kay, when asked earlier about potential staff changes, Jim Schwartz said that the staff belongs to Kevin Stefanski. On Wednesday, Stefanski applauded Schwartz for being open-minded. Robert interprets those statements to mean that Schwartz is potentially hampered in bringing in coaches, players, and schemes that have made him successful elsewhere. So I'll add this. Uh, do you believe that to be the case? And then Robert asks, are the Browns setting him up for failure? The thing about Jim Schwartz is that even though he is to a certain extent, um, you know, you know what his style is, you know what he's done in the past, you know what he likes to do. But 
I think to because he has seen so much and he's been around so long that he can he can do anything. And if they want him to play a certain kind of coverage more than another or whatever, I, I think he's going to be open to um, to the whole analytics piece. Uh, you know, I, I really think that he will adapt to you know what the Browns, not what they want, because it's going to be Jim Schwartz's defense. There's no question about that. But if they have thoughts, if they have suggestions, if these suggestions and, and ideas are based and rooted in, in numbers, and he's a numbers guy too, um, I think he will be open to that. I think that's what Kevin was trying to say. He'll be open to growth. The game has changed since he was last a defensive coordinator and things are different. And, you know, you might have to use different numbers, different rules, different analytics than you had to use even two years ago. I mean, even just in talking to Jonathan Gannon at the Super Bowl about taking over, you know, a defense in the last two years, he said it really has. The game has changed a lot. It's going a lot more towards, uh, you know, some college concepts and you have to be able to adapt with it. And I think Jim Schwartz will be able to do that. The other thing, too, when we talk about assistant coaches, and I thought this was something Kevin made a really strong point about, like he really wanted to say this. Um, they really like developing coaches. They like really having young coaches that they can grow and develop and kind of keep moving forward. He talked about the the Bill Willis Fellowship, um, how, how they've sort of used that. And he likes to develop young coaches. I think he takes a lot of pride in that. And that, you know, that's sort of his background, too, right? He came in as what was essentially Callie Brownson's role at when she first got hired in Cleveland. And he really worked his way up over a long time to where he is now. And I think he takes pride in sort of having an organization that's focused on, on that kind of development on the coaching level. Oh my gosh, 100%. And he did start out that way under uh, Brad Childress with the Eagles and, and he, and, and he, I mean, with the Vikings and he does feel like, uh, you know, he needs to, you know, to reach that hand back and pull up other people the same way uh, that he was pulled up like that and brought along. And Andrew's the same way. They're always they're all like that. Uh, they're all about diversity. They're about develop, developing these young coaches. They're about, uh, you know, bringing women and minorities into the fold and, and making sure that uh, they're setting them up for success. But they're so excited about like Ashton Grant, their Bill Willis fellow from 2020, who has now moved into the quarterback room. I mean, that's a pretty good track to be on for a young coach. If you're starting out in the quarterback room, and Kevin Stefanski did the same thing. He was in the quarterback room a lot when he was a young coach. Um, but that, you know, that's great exposure, and that puts you on a, on a track to some pretty cool things uh, pretty quickly. So he's definitely doing that, and, uh, you know, he's, he's paying it forward. And those guys really appreciate uh, all of those who came before them, and they're doing a really nice job of that. Yeah. And when you talked about that, something else kind of jumped out to me too. I mean, you mentioned he started under Brad Childress in Minnesota, but he, you know, made it through a coaching change. He made it through coordinator changes and he was always kept on staff and, you know, never got caught up in any sweeping changes of, of assistance, which happens sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sure he kind of values that too. Like, okay, yes, we're going to change the coordinator and, you know, sure. We'll, we'll let you bring in some guys, but you know, get to know the guys in our building too, because I think we've got some people. Yes, absolutely. 100%. And if you look at some of the things that he has done uh, in the past couple of weeks, I mean, one of them is he took his chief of staff, Callie Brownson, 
And now he has made her a full-time assistant wide receivers coach. That's a really great opportunity for her. And it's sort of the same thing that he did. He started out uh, as chief of staff and then moved into full-time coaching roles. And, you know, he has long identified her as, uh, as head coaching material. And now he's kind of got her on a track and she is on a path. And if she continues this way, you know, she could become one of the first female head coaches in the NFL. It's mind boggling to think about it. Um, but you know, we might not be as far away from that as, as one might think, because I mean, look, Jonathan Gannon, as we mentioned before, the St. Ignatius former star in Cleveland, uh, native, he had only been a coordinator in Philadelphia for two years before he was hired as a head coach. So if, you know, if you can get yourself in a position like that, where people are starting to look at you in those terms, things can happen very quickly. And so for him to put Callie on that track, it's pretty remarkable. Uh, you know, he's following through with what he said he was going to do. And before you know it, uh, she could have some pretty big opportunities. Okay, that's going to do it for this edition of the Hey uh, the Hey Mary Kay podcast on the Orange Brown Talk podcast. Uh, we're going to record another one of these for you uh, for Friday, so just make sure you're subscribed to this feed on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and also become a Football Insider subscriber. That is where these questions always come from. Cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page to get info and get signed up. Mary Kay, I will talk to you later. Sounds great. 